And I'm Dr. E. Queen V, who do we have that will have an audacious story today? Marilyn, we have one of my favorite authors and the magnitude of Patricia Raybon's story. Of course, we can only give clips of her very storied, no pun intended, history is that she is a journalist by training. Patricia earned a BA in, in journalism from Ohio State University, an MA in journalism from the University of Colorado at Boulder. Yay, Colorado. Hey, that's where I went. Okay. <laughs> he worked for a dozen years in Denver as a newspaper journalist at the Denver Post, where she was Sunday Contemporary Magazine editor and at the Rocky Mountain News, where she was a feature writer. Mid-career, she joined the journalism faculty at the University of Colorado at Boulder, where she taught print journalism courses to bright, hardworking graduate and undergraduate students for 15 years, getting promoted to Professor Emerita in 2006. Can wow, you repeat Boulder. that, please? Professor of what? Can you repeat her, that? Yes, absolutely. She was promoted to Professor Emerita in 2006. That's amazing. She, yes, that's amazing. She now writes full-time on matters of faith by day and of mystery by night. She's also a mom to two grown daughters, a Grammy to five grandchildren, mother-in-law to one son, and the wife of 45 years to her husband, Dan Raybon, a retired educator, passionate about God's word, love that, and the power in reading, studying, and obeying it, Patricia supports Bible translation and literacy efforts worldwide through the Wycliffe Bible Translators. Love, love, love that. And that is her favorite uh, beloved nonprofit ministry. Now, Patricia, have so many questions for you. I did not even go into the fact that you are a member of the Authors Guild, the Colorado Authors Guild, that you have numerous awards and literary recognition, even with your newest novel, which I am just going through, and it's already very riveting. My question to you, finally. That's what, that's what the author is supposed to do, call yeah. the book. <laughs> All that is secret. That is phenomenal because you are combining class and race and geography. I love that it is uh, positioned in Colorado. Um, I love Spain already and the whole story and how the evolution if that is coming. This is what I find so interesting and what I really want you to go into. The audacity to develop storylines in both the literary genre of nonfiction, like the book with your daughter, uh, fiction, this book. You're also an essayist. You're also a professor emerita. What? How <laughs> in the world did you develop that master craftsmanship in those that's, areas? That's a pivotal question and it has actually a simple answer and you might have heard this phrase that um small hinges open big doors 
And when I was a third grader at Columbine School in Denver, oh my teacher, the only African-American teacher I had in grade school, called me up to her desk one day and she asked me if I liked to write. She said, Patricia, do you love to write? And I said, yes, you know, because I'm a reader and love stories. And she said, you are a writer. You know, wow. she was saying, do you, you want to be a writer when you grow up? And, you know, I just loved thinking about that. And she said, you are a writer. You know, that's, a, that's quite an affirmation um, from, to a little black girl in a mostly white school at that time from a teacher who saw something in me. I don't even know when I look back on it to answer your question. I don't even know when we say those kind of things to people, if we know what we are declaring over their lives. Yes. But yes. She was declaring that over my life when I was, you know, seven or eight years old. And uh, that is what I have, with God's help, that is the road I have walked on since that time. That's amazing to me. And also the fact that it is so powerful. I have this thing because like you, I have childhood memories that I remember from being wee little ones, mm -hmm. both positive and negative. And I think that we can never know the impact we have on children. They are yeah. all watching and we are like little gods to them. And so I never tried to leave a child's presence without imparting something positive to their future ever. I think that's so important. Yes. So that gives me shivers to think that that happened to you. And I think that that was a God thing. We are um, a podcast a queen. I, I mean, Dr. E and I are both strong believers that in the faith mm -hmm. tradition uh, of, you know, of our faith and of our God. And I just believe that's a God setup that that happened to you. I know it is. When I had my very first book signing at the Tattered Cover bookstore in Denver, for people who don't live here, <clears throat> you know, it's one of the, has been one of the largest independent bookstores in the country. When I had my very first book signing for this book on racial forgiveness, um, that I invited that teacher to be my special guest. Oh my God. And, um, because she started it all. But there's one other part of that story I should, to answer your question. My parents, when they knew about my dream to be a writer, my parents never said, oh, that's not practical. You know, why don't you, you know, um, do something where you can uh, guarantee that you'll make a living and earn, earn a salary and make it. They, they always supported that dream. It was a dream. And, uh, and so my parents have both passed away. But when I think about that, their um, their encouragement for what was really a dream with no uh, clear path. You know, being a writer is, um, has a lot of ups and downs, but they supported it anyway. So those two things, really, that, those are the answers. Those are some key answers to your question. Well, you know, uh, Patricia, you said something that still, um, is prevalent today. You said your only black teacher uh, in elementary school. And yes. I think about, you know, you being a professor um, and going through the trajectory of uh, 
of uh, the, the tenure track and getting tenure and then on to, you know, a full professor. I mean, that in and of itself is daunting. And I'm sure you were probably one of only uh, professors that your black professors that your students probably had. And I think about it and it's like, well, there hasn't been much change over uh, since you were a kid to right now in terms of blacks in higher education, black professors now. What right. was your experience like uh, living out your dream, becoming a professor and, and teaching uh, journalism in an all pretty much white institution? Because I graduated from University of Colorado in Boulder as well. And I just remember yeah. being in the classroom and I was the only one. And if anyone right. even remotely looked brown, I would gravitate to them. And I did right. not have any black professors at all. Mm -hmm. What was that it, like for you? Well, um, at first I pushed back. And um, at first I had a bit of a contentious relationship with my students because most of them were white. And I had, I, I arrived, I'll be honest with you, with a bit of a chip on my shoulder about that, uh, Marilyn. And, um, and then I was led, I'm sure, by God's help and by the Holy Spirit to give my students what I wanted them to give me. I wanted them to see me more than um, a woman who was Black. I wanted them to see all of who I am. And so the first, um, here's the story behind it. The first day of class, I would always say, you know, let's introduce ourselves. And the students would say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Marilyn from Arvada or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, but as we're, we're going to do, do, be doing writing in here. So let's look at all the people we are. And then I would describe myself. You know, I'd say, um, I'm at that point, I'm a mother. That was a big part of my life. I'm a wife. Um, I'm a neighbor. I'm a sister. Um, I'm a Westerner. I'm, I'm a, um, a suburbanite. I talked to them about that. And I'd say I'm a Christian. And then, I, and then I'd say, but if I, the Christian that I say I am, why isn't that the first thing on my list? Ooh. And then I'd say, oh, I've got to write about that. And so I would help them start to see all of me. So then I needed to offer that to them. Because mm -hmm. to me, they everybody was white. But then they would start to tell me who they were. So a student would say, I'm a daughter of hippies. I grew up in the mountains with no running water. Mm. And, uh, and I would say, you could write about that the rest of your life. Mm. You know, and so we would go around these writing classes that I was teaching. And I began to see that even in, in all of, in any group of people, there's diversity. Mm. And, um, and I wanted people to see me with that level of grace, but I had to give it mm. to my students. And to the, I am still friends on Facebook and other places with students that I had back then, because I think um, they appreciated mm. being seen for all who they were. That's not often the case when you're a person of color in a mostly white space, or even if you are a white person in a mostly white space, mm. well, very few of us get to be seen 
for who all that we are. Mm. Wow, that, love that. That's that's approach, that, that was so the approach, powerful. you know, you're talking about being audacious. That was, it was audacious to tell the, those students at a state university that my identity includes my faith identity. Mm. And, um, and so I would say to them, if I'm gonna tell you who I am, tell me all the parts of yourself. And they would start to, and some of them hadn't done that kind of reflection yet, but they would slowly start to pull that out of themselves. And then we, you know, we had some really uh, profound relationships develop in those classes. Wow, that's incredible. You know what, Patricia, I did, I totally believe that, and especially in this environment that's so rancorous and you know we have so much tension and anxiety that we've lost the art of seeing each other right and seeing beyond race and politics and political you know all of the things that are going on now the whole justice movement injustice movement i should say <laughs> but um yeah one of the things that's really so um striking about your reading is the place that you allow for emotional vulnerability. I really saw that in the writing with your daughter, because those of us, and, and Dr. E and I both have grown daughters. It is such a sensitive place where our children are involved. I mean, that's our heartbeat and our heartstrings. And, and when you want to express, you don't know how much that you are able to convey without getting into their sacred spaces. And I realized that your daughter was all along with you in this book, but how did you get to that place of vulnerability in writing? Well, um, the, um, here's the answer. Writing is about two things. It's about truth and it's about courage. And when you know your truth and have the courage to put it on paper, when people see it, see it they're amazed because we often do so much masking and so much hiding of our truth and what I learned early on and I'm so grateful for this um, is that if I just tell the truth about my story whatever story I happen to be working on whether it's in a book or in an, an essay or devotional something if I just tell the truth then um, I can I um, display to my readers that they can do the same thing about their lives. And so regarding race, um, Dr. Merrill, when you were talking about up at CU, Boulder, at the University of Colorado at Boulder, I would have students saying, well, I don't want to talk about race. That makes me uncomfortable. And, you know, or, or I don't see your race. Mm. You know, that, that kind of discussion. And I would say, well, if you, that you, that's, a person can say that from a place of privilege. Yeah. But for those of us who um, wrestle and have to walk that, live that reality every day, to say that you want, don't want to talk about it is saying, I don't want to see you. I don't want to be bothered with you. I don't want to think about you. And, um, and so that same principle operates in a family too, because um, you're talking about my book and I, it's, I'm gonna scoot back and get it. Can I do that real fast? Oh, absolutely. 
<laughs> Undivided. Yes. And so my the uh, the story is that our daughter, we are a Christian family, and our youngest daughter converted to Islam right about before uh, 9-11. And so we struggled with that we, and argued about that for a good 10 years. And, um, but, and then when we decided to write about it and drill down, what we discovered is that the tension that people have in the world was the same tension we had in our own family. We weren't giving each other um, grace and space to say, but this is who I am. This is the choice I've made. Can you respect that? That's what my daughter was asking from me. Mm -hmm. um, can you respect the choice that I have made as an adult woman? And, um, and so I looked at that word respect, ladies, and it really means to see again. Wow. And, uh, and so I looked again at my daughter and she, is, um, you know, she's an educator, um, has an accomplished ed educator, a wonderful mother and wife, a good citizen, a good neighbor and friend. And I started to look at my daughter, I thought, she's a wonderful person. Why am I stuck on this one thing? Let That's me, you know, let me offer her the respect that she is asking for. That's what we're all asking from each other. And, and that's that God gives us, you know, he does not <laughs> impose himself on us, you right. know, and so that's, that's the hardest thing, I think, being parents, being mothers, is that we want to steer our children in a certain direction that we feel is best for them, mm -hmm. but just like us, they are free moral agents, and God yeah, won't we, make We them. raised them, so when, yeah. then when they decide to be independent. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, just getting to that place or space in your life where you can learn or we can learn to be more accepting. But I think that we have to be accepting of ourselves first and be able to tell our story. And when you tell your story, you're really dredging up a whole lot of stuff. I'm sure that when you wrote all of your books, um, it wasn't easy. It's because it was like going through therapy. You have to first recognize what it is you're talking about accept what it is you're talking about and be okay with getting it out there in the public. And regardless of their opinion, it doesn't matter because it's your story and well, nobody can change your story. Absolutely. I remember my daughter, my oldest daughter said to me, mom, why do you tell all these personal stories? Why do you tell all these personal stories in, in your writing? And I said to her, because at the end of the day, it's, it is my story, but it's not just about me. So when my first book was written, um, I would get, this is one I held up a few minutes ago, my first white friend. I got a lot of um, letters and things from people saying, oh, I love your book, I read your book. And then the next sentence would say, it reminds me of me. It reminds, and then they write three pages or whatever about it. And so I, re, I realized this writing is about giving away my story. So I agree with you, Marilyn. It's my story, but it's um, as I give it away, that other people can um, see that they have a right to reflect on their story too. 
and reflect on their truth. And it's so it has been very liberating for me to know that. So I can sit down and write all this personal stuff, um, you know, knowing that it will um, inspire and encourage. I use that word that um, perhaps it will encourage somebody to examine their own story, too. Has there been any pushback in terms of you telling your story and you know it's your story, but someone said, I don't like your story. <laughs> it's not about me. It's not about, you're not telling my story the way I want you to tell my story. What, what's wrong with your story here? I don't like your story. Have you run across that? Yes, hate mail. Okay. <laughs> yeah, hate, hate mail. So speak um, a little bit on that. When it first started to happen um, with this book and, and when I was um, going up for tenure, you might have heard the rule publish or perish. And so I would write a lot of first person essays and sell them in places. And, and I write at the intersection of race and faith, even in my fiction. And you're right, people would push back and say horrible things, call me horrible names, um, you know, doubt what I was saying. And I just get, recently I wrote a devotional for our daily bread that had a race element in it and gotten a lot of pushback from people. So they were calling it critical race theory, and you know how people are right now. And, um, and it used to hurt. And, and I finally understand that that kind of communication says more about the other person than it does about me. Right. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I, I call that having small fights with small people, with small fighters. <laughs> you know, we can, we can spend all day uh, having small fights with small fighters and nothing ever gets resolved. And so we have to be bigger than that and yeah. tougher than that. And I think that you are absolutely all of that. Now, what has been your greatest joy in this journey and your greatest defeat? <laughs> um, oh, my greatest joy has been the privilege, speaking of privilege, of using a, a gift and a love, which for me is using the, um, the gift of writing to make a living and make a life. I have either in my journey been a writer or taught writing. That's the only thing I've ever done. And that, I recognize that. I'm working on the, uh, this, I finished writing the second book. This mystery novel is a series. And, um, and I finished writing book two and now we're working on the edits and revisions. And I, I tweeted the other day, this is, this is a, this is privileged work, you know? And so that is the greatest joy to, um, to know, have known from such a young age that this is what I want to pursue. Then to pursue it and then um, for the Lord to open doors for me to do the work. That's a huge um, joy for me. And, uh, and so the defeats, I, I, uh, I can't even answer that question because I've learned not to focus on that. 
So, you know, in terms of this um, beautiful idea of being um, audacious enough to believe, I just encourage people to believe in the gift that they recognize in themselves, no matter what it is. And, um, and do all they can to develop it. I go to writing conferences. Um, I'm in a writer's guild. I'm, I'm a, I can't tell you how many writers groups I'm in. You mentioned the Colorado Authors League, the Authors Guild. Um, I, um, I, when I started writing mystery novels, I joined the Mystery Writers of America. I was in Colorado Press Women. I get, and all, and all those affinity groups so I can meet people and so I can keep learning things. And so, you know, if, if someone has re recognized their gift, develop it and then find out all the other people who are doing the same work right. and commute, you know, and connect with them and support each other and learn from each other. It's, um, it's just, uh, it's a great, um, it's a beautiful, a kindness of God that we can journey this way together. I love that the two of you are doing this podcast together. Two are better than one. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't know if you know, Dr. E and I have been friends uh, meeting in Denver at Macedonia Baptist Church when we were five years old. No. And we never are you serious? Ever, yes, yes. And we have been like friend sisters that long, nearly 60 years. And so it has been a joyful journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking, yeah. Of, speaking of a joyful journey, um, you mentioned you've been married for 45 years. And yeah. when you say 45 years, it's like, whoa, that's, that's a lifetime. Right. Um, and, and I've been married 37 years. And my question now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to twist it because you did say you're all of these wonderful uh, uh, wonderful variables that you yeah. that you shared with your students way from the very beginning. I can't help but say that I believe in my heart that your husband had to be a tremendous support system for you going through not only uh, writing, uh, you know, and, and getting to uh, the professorship, but going through, you know, graduate school, going through the tenure track, going through, I mean, just that whole paradigm. Can you speak a little bit about that as far as uh, the, the individuals that we don't see that are silent supporters, that they're way deep in the background, but those are the, the very individuals that keep us propped up? Yes, thank you. Um, I'm remiss in not mentioning Dan Raybon. Um, recently, I was named um, to the Colorado Authors Hall of Fame and in my thank you speech, I said what almost everybody in that program said, if it wasn't for my spouse, if it wasn't for you know my husband, if it wasn't for my wife, uh, I am sure if it wasn't for Dan, we wouldn't be talking here today. Okay. I mean, he has done the small things like carry books from, um, up across the country from here and there. And he's done that kind of thing. He listens to me, my writing. He, um, I will, sh the other day I was working on a piece 
I ask him to um, to read it. And he doesn't just say, oh, that's, you know, he doesn't just pick it up and say, oh, that's good, honey. And he, he um, is a thoughtful, um, you know, responder to the things I'm trying to say and uh, gives me, you know, critical feedback. And, and then there's just the fun of being, of having, you know, a live companion. We have had ups and we have had downs. But, um, you know, the, um, that gift of, of, of journeying alongside with somebody through all of that, mm-hmm. you can't, there's no, it's hard to put words on it. Right. So I'm grateful for Dan. I have um, friendships I'm grateful for. I talked to a friend last night for her birthday. And we just, you know, we have that long time friendship. My agent is my my book agent is my advocate. Uh, I mean, the man just fights for me. I've had three agents in my um, book life, and all three of them have been wonderful people at just the right time. So that speaks to what I was saying earlier about um, not trying to do this life alone. You know, whether it happens to be a writing life or any other kind of life. The, um, it's gonna be harder to try to do it by yourself. And there'll be a lot of lost joy trying to go your own by yourself too. So um, I'm grateful for what Grant, what Dan has uh, granted to me as a husband and as a father and um, as a book lover and as a friend. Mm. I hope that's enough to say. Oh my gosh, that's-, that's... <laughs> Oh, I love it. It's, it's yeah. absolutely beautiful. And it reminds me of your story, Dr. E, as well, because we know that behind the scenes from the very beginning of Audacity to Believe was my brother, Walter, your sweet husband. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, your twin, I should say, you guys have been married so long that you look like brothers (laughs) and sisters, I always say. Beautiful, beautiful. I I love marriage and everything that... Uh, you know, it um, establishes from the very heart of God. Marriage is like our Patricia Raybon said, you know, it is doing life the way God intended with another. And so, and I would not have ever, you know, you get me teary-eyed and misty-eyed, Patricia, because my sweet husband passed in 2018. Mm -hmm. And, but he was the most phenomenal man of God. And if it had not been for him, who did everything for my book. All I did was write. He did the cover. He did everything, everything, everything. And encouraged me all along the way. Anytime I was doing anything he thought was unnecessary for me to be doing, he said, uh, how's that chapter going? How's <laughs> and so I understand how important it is to have a cheerleader, to have an advocate, to have a companion and somebody that respects what you do and supports what you do. Yes, because this, you know, this business of being audacious, you know, however one defines that, um, a lot of that is uh, the public part of um, our, our lives. And then um, at the end of the day, that um, goes and sits on its, in its place. And um, we are just ourselves with ourselves and the, and the people we, we love and live with. And, um, and so 
that pursuit of, um, of audacity can, if we're not careful, leave behind people who, um, you know, we start to take for granted. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we never want to be, get to that place where the pursuit is more important than the people. Amen. Absolutely. Wow, that's okay. heavy. You know, um, we are running out of time, but I have a couple of burning questions. Queen V, will you mind if I ask these questions? Um, oh, no. Just to summarize it, because yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, we're running out of time, but I got to know this. Okay. Number one, um, I find it very interesting that you, um, you, um, you retired and then you, you somehow created a whole new different life for yourself that is so fulfilling. It's just amazing. So I want you to just speak on how did you retire and then just move on to, uh, and just continue following your dreams. And the last piece on that is who are you bringing up behind you? Yes. Well, um, when I left the university, when I left teaching, I just sort of looked at the lay of the land and I thought, well, what are some other things I could do? I could sell real estate, you know, which is a good life. I could, you know, I started looking at different things. But then in praying about it, um, I clearly heard, heard the, the Lord say, um, you, as my third grade teacher said, you are a writer, go do that. And, um, and so I looked at um, all the ways and all the places and spaces where that could happen. And now I'm thankful to contribute to, contribute to two uh, global ministries as a, a regular right, contributor and do the book writing that I've been blessed to do. And um, I was inspired by some people I know. There's, I think about Dr. Marie Greenwood, who was a woman in Denver, who at, wrote her second book at a, age 101. Wow. And, uh, and so when I look at people like that, you know, I thought you you better get cracking. You know, <laughs> so those kind of people inspire me. And then just yesterday, ladies, a young lady called me and told me her dream of wanting to do spiritual writing in the in the way that I do. And I'm grateful that right away I could think of three people I could connect her to. And so, uh, because people have done that for me. Okay. So, you know, I don't. Um, you know, we hear we use the phrase reaching back. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's sort of reaching together. So I was really excited to share that information with her and connect her with these uh, editors and publishers. And, and, uh, and so, you know, and I continue to teach it with uh, writing workshops around the country. So it's a, it's a little, it's a little uh, corner of the world, this writing world. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to be working in it. Wonderful. Well, it looks like we are out of time, but I'll tell you, Queen V, we're going to have to bring her back again. Absolutely. There's a whole lot more we need to unpack. So Queen V, you take it from here. Uh, thank you so much, our incredible author. I think minister, because you have ministered to us just being here with your presence and your wealth of wisdom and I just am so much a fan, I must say, of, Pat of Patricia Raybon. But Patricia, how can we 
uh, reach you, we would we want our audience to know how they can get in contact with you, uh, perhaps get copies of your books. Do you have book signings coming up? Uh, what does your uh, calendar look like? Well, my online home is my website, which is patriciaraybon.com. And um, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook, so people can find me there. And in terms of getting uh, books and signed copies, um, the books are available all over the country on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, at independent bookstores around the country. I go to Barnes and Noble every week or so, a couple of weeks or so, and sign copies of the books that they have in their inventory. And then if you live somewhere else and you like a signed copy, um, you can go to my website, email me on the, from the contact page, and tell me how to reach you. And we'll take care of those details there. Well, that's amazing. I can't wait. My 92-year-old mother is going to be visiting me this week for Thanksgiving. But she's the Denver, not a Denver native, but she lives in Colorado for nearly 70 years. And so I can't wait to send her to one of your signings for a book. She would be thrilled to meet you. But Dr. Eve, we are going to close out. And you can find us at queenbeeanddre.com. We are, as Dr. E uh, reiterated, on YouTube, SoundCloud, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. <laughs> so please like us, share, and subscribe. And we will see you next week at 11 a.m. Thank you so much. Believe, to believe, Queen B and Dr. E. We've got a